Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. You know, it's weird, but Portland is a top five team right now. Right, shh, right now. Shh, shh, just don't tell anybody. Only the Warriors and Bucks have a better team plus minus. Wow. Yeah. That's something. If they, There's no way they do it at the end of that trip. But if they find a way to beat the Bucks and Warriors on the back end of that trip, then I think you can say that this team's... Okay, well, we're going to talk about that trip. Oh, it, that trip's going to be a nightmare. Well, hold on. Let's let's talk about that. Let's go ahead and get started, okay? No, I, I, I'm, I'm recording. Oh, you are? Oh, okay. And I am. Well, welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara Bowen Biggs, and I'm starting this podcast off with our regular opening because this whole in-media race thing is not working for me where we just like jump in into the middle of things. I like to start, I like our podcast to have a beginning, a middle, of an end, an end. So this one is going to have a beginning and a middle and an end. I'm going to do everything I can to sabotage it. I know you will, so I am on high alert. Anyway, welcome everybody to the Blazers Edge podcast. We are sitting, the Blazers, I'm sorry, I did none of the work. All I did was sit and watch. Because- the Blazers are sitting on a 3-0 and week, and they're a lot of fun. Begrudgingly, yes. <laughs> Why does it pain you to say that? I just I have a brand to maintain here. Okay. Really <laughs> Inside, you really are having fun, yeah. aren't you? Uh, the the last week of basketball has been some of the more enjoying moments of basketball, as far as the Blazers are concerned, and probably like the last ten years for me. Wow. Yeah. No. I mean, the, the, I think the only other time it was more enjoyable, if we want to go back, like probably Brandon's mm-hmm. third year. And Dame Lamarcus and Dame's either rookie year or second. Well, yeah. What what about the beginning of the of the year before the Aflalo Barton trade? Yeah, exactly. So you had Dame's second year there. So yeah, yeah like that. Those are like. And again, we're talking about teams that were like no doubt fifty win, just right running through well, everybody teams. What makes it fun for you right now? I mean, if you can break out of your brand as a grumpy Gus to talk about it. <laughs> um, they're, they're playing for each other. And there's Damon, CJ, and Aminu have all said it really in the last couple postgame uh, uh, media scrums in that it's a different guy every night. It's CJ for 40 one night. It's Dame dropping 12 assists against Boston. It's Zach Collins coming up with a career-high 17 in games. It's Myers Leonard coming to the rescue. It's Evan Turner running the second unit. It's Nick Stauskas in the first week of the season. Like the only guy who's like a regular rotation player who hasn't had a seminal moment right now is Seth Curry. And he's just had like these little, little spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like we said, going into the season, I'm giving him a month anyways. Right. Like there have been times when basically everybody on this team and like the regular roster have, like carry this team for a quarter. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's weird. You know, it's strange. 
it's almost like everything that we've been told about this team over the last three or four years is starting to come true. The whole, we're going to build the team around Damien. We're going to find players in Damien's trajectory. We don't need older locker room guys. We're going to rely on internal development. I mean, that's what they've said the plan is all along. I think for the most part, we're getting like the best version of every one of these guys. Evan Turner being optimized with the second unit. Zach Collins filling at the box score. Yusuf Nurkic being a 16 and 10 guy. Um, Stauskas, you know, having a couple career nights. Um, Myers Leonard getting on the floor and being effective, spreading the floor, yeah. being physical. Um, I mean, the only thing that hasn't really been there and you don't notice it cause he's not there is Mo Harkless. Mm-hmm. And I know I've seen some, some people are like, well, you know, you know, can the Blazers be better with, with Mo? And I'm like, well, on the surface, sure. But uh, this is going to sound terrible, but I don't know if I want Mo back. Right. Right. Like right now, like I, I want him as a, as a body, but I don't know if I want to give mm-hmm. him uh, 25 minutes a night. You know what I mean? Right. I know. I So I so want Mo to be healthy and I want the very best Mo. I want the very, very best version of Mo. And I think that would, you know, just strengthen and bolster this team even more. But I have to say, I have to confess one thing. Um, there's been a lot of sharing of videos of the Blazer bench and how much fun they're having. And like that one from this week was the, uh, who was it? Collins and Myers, like holding Evan Turner up and it was all cute and everything. But every time I see one of those bench celebrations, you can see Mo in the back and he just, he just looks gutted. And I've got to think it's because, you know, he wants to be out there playing, but it's just like, my heart just breaks for him. Like I want him to be healthy and out there playing, but I I feel like he's got, I don't know. (laughs) I I hope that, you know, they either figure out that, you know, what they need to do with his knee or I don't know. It's just, it's distressing to me to see him sit there just kind of like looking like he's dead inside. I'm sure inside he's like super excited, but like, it's just, it's, it's a rough situation for him. Yeah. Like, this is going to sound weird, but when you're a, a, a pro or you're top level at anything, you kind of want things to not go good without you there. Cause it kind of justifies your existence. You know what I mean? Well, it's your natural competitiveness. Yeah. As, almost- you know, I don't think any human could, you know, I, I think every human probably fights against that in that situation. And all of a sudden they're doing just fine without you. And you're like, well, crap. Yeah. He does look amazing in his suits, though. That man knows how to wear a tailored suit. <laughs> There's been, I, I mean, I, I feel like over the last several years, the NBA fashion, you know, every year, you know, goes up another notch. And I feel like this year it's just they've gone just to, to even more extraordinary lengths. And uh, I didn't put it in my mom's favor, but one of the things that I was going to talk about was uh, Nurkic and that adorable little hat that he was been wearing. It's a good look on him. His okay. Hat? What? His where's Waldo hat? No, his little like what do you, I don't know. He looks like a little newsy or something. <laughs> anyway, he looked really good on it in it. But okay, so I'm gonna broach a subject that we I've like pre purposely steered away from from like for like a whole year because every time I brought it up, you were like, ah, we're not talking about that. Do the Blazers have an identity now? Uh I still don't know if it, that, that that much has changed 
in that respect. Um, they, they have a team identity, I think. And I think that goes back to the whole idea of them playing for each other. Um, but are they a dynamic offensive team? Yeah. Are they the best offensive team? Not, not quite. They're real good. Um, are they a takeover defensive team? No, but they're good as a unit. And I think that, again, that kind of speaks to like the idea of what you were talking about in that, you know, they're kind of turning into this thing that, that the team or the media have kind of sold in general, like of what this team's supposed to be um, a couple of years ago. Right. But I don't, I don't know if they have an identity outside of Damian Lillard. It, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not a slight on any of these guys. I just, I don't know if they're, because I guess if you want to give them an identity, it's that they, they don't, they don't necessarily need one. That is a very strange answer. <laughs> Please explain that a little bit more. And it just kind of the whole idea of how this this team is is better than just the sum of its parts. Uh huh. So they're not like if you take a look at at the Rockets. The Rockets are a or you know were <laughs> let's the, the operative were last year the last Rockets. Year, they were a pick and roll isolation team that could go small and play good defense to great defense all night long. And they were going to play Mori ball. The Golden mm-hmm. State Warriors are nine handed Hydra who are just going to eat you alive. The Milwaukee Bucks are a stupid long team that are going to kill you in transition and spread the floor and just bomb away. Like, I don't know if necessarily Portland has that identity and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing right now. The past I, I think it was because they couldn't really come up with one. I think their identity now is, is kind of like this amorphous thing that kind of changes from night to night. And I, I think that's more about who they've become than who they're not. Well, when you look around the league um, compared to a lot of you know re- reports out of locker rooms, they certainly are a very cohesive unit. Mm-hmm. They are a, very much a team team, and they're you know a team that revolves around Damian Lillard for sure. But it's almost like when you think about their basketball identity, it's almost like they're bifurcated. Which I'm going to just go ahead and bring that out. The, <laughs> with the starters having a a very a traditional backcourt focused. You, um, you know, style of play, and then they have like a switchy, flexible bench. Um, and like before, it was like you know they had the backcourt, and then the bench came in, and everybody just crossed their fingers and held on. But now, like the bench, and what I mean by bifurcated is like the bench has a whole separate and um useful identity that has a role and things that they can actually do, rather than just like kind of hold on and try not to lose too much of the lead. Yeah, no, I I would go with that. I mean, again, we're we're, we're talking about like I think we're both kind of speaking on the same things here, at least. In that, like, their identity is that they can kind of adapt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, yeah. That's a good. That's not a, a bad thing. I mean, uh, I think probably one of the biggest criticisms about this team coming in the summer was that their failure to adapt or the lack of. Per- I mean, for the playoffs. Yeah, the lack mm-hmm. of personnel who could who could adapt mm-hmm. is really what inhibited them. And now they have uh, a group that's shown uh, they can be they can be more uh, adaptive and actually have their own 
tools. <laughs> it's not like that's just like, you know, here's your replacement chef's knife that is the old chef's knife that's not as good as your new chef's knives. It's like, oh, here's a one that you can fillet something with and here's one for just chopping vegetables. It's like the whole knife kit has like a bunch of specialists in it. Um so, you know, we talk I, I alluded very briefly to some locker room dysfunction happening in other places in the league, which leads us to um a topic that we need to talk about, and that is that the Jimmy Butler trade finally happened. <laughs> Thank God that is over. Um what are your thoughts? And most importantly, how 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 does it affect Portland? Um, first of all, I think on the surface it's one of those rare like win win trades as far as um, yeah, I can't like, believe Minnesota got anything. Farage and Rocco. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's not a like, – don't get me wrong. I don't think either one of those guys are star players, but I think they're hell of a – They're fine. But, yeah. And they're going to be a nice fit in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, when – like, if you were going to compare, like, Minnesota's roster now, like, I think it's more Portland-esque in that you've got two guys in Cat and Wiggins, and you can laugh about Wiggins, and I, I do too, but um, – hell, Cat to an extent. But talent-wise, I mean, those are two supremely talented guys. And if you're going to put guys on the floor with them that make sense, I mean, six foot eight to six foot ten, three and D, able to stretch the floor, put the ball down, be those utility players who don't necessarily need a a high usage rate. Like that's that seems like an ideal fit. And then Jimmy Embiid and Simmons. Yeah, sign me up for that. Oh, uh, I just that I think that, that could go so toxic though. I don't think so. I think the only way it goes toxic is for faults. I think I think Simmons oh, I... is the one on the outside. Like if you're looking for like somebody who, you know, really matters right now, but I think Embiid and 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 Jimmy are going to be just fine. I think they're going to become so obnoxious. <laughs> and every every fiber of my mom and momness in me wants to run and get Markel Fultz out of there. And I know that they're all grownups and they can handle themselves, but that just, <laughs> just think that poor kid and watching some of the highlights they've been showing on, uh, of him tonight, tonight is Monday. The free throw line. Oh, <sighs> that a, poor kid. That's a big wolf. Like he, that, that's, that, and reports too from, let's see, Alex Kennedy of hoops hype reported that he's no longer working with Drew Hanlon. Yeah, it's the closest thing that I can compare Markel Fultz to, and this is probably a bit of a deep cut for non-baseball fans, but Rick Ankeel was a top-flight pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. And one day, he couldn't pitch. I think he threw seven or eight wild pitches in a game. Mm -hmm. He just had the worst case of the yips ever. He just couldn't pitch. And it took him five years to kind of round it all out. But he, he was a five-tool player coming out. Like, he, he could do it all. Wow. He figured out how to be a hitter again, and he's a supreme athlete who transitioned to the outfield and became a all-star caliber outfielder for the Cardinals five years later. But it took a it took very... five years. took a long time. The NBA doesn't wait five years. No. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the closest thing that I can think of to somebody, like, really, really struggling with that. And it's, it sucks. You don't want, like, it's one thing to see Carmelo Anthony get beat by father time, like in him just kind of running his face into it over and over. <laughs> but it's another thing when it's a 21 year old kid 
mm-hmm. who hasn't had a chance. Like, there's a reason why he was basically consensus number one. Like, he's mm-hmm. supremely talented. So there is just something that's just wacky there. And yeah, like if you're looking for that that powder keg moment, I mean, Fultz and and Jimmy definitely has potential to be that. Well, my I was surprised that I I thought they were going to make the trade and then basically then just fire Tibbs the next day because I that's still a big to me. They, they just take the GM privileges away. I don't mind Tibbs as a coach. I, I get the, the the criticisms of him, but like just take his. No other coach should have GM privileges ever again. Like that, that's, that's where we need to be with this. Well, so uh, as far as the, what the trade means for Portland, so the Portland trailblazers are obviously playing Minnesota coming up in a couple of days. And I looked at the schedule. And so I I think that the blazers are going to play them. So they're, they're going to have their bounce back game and then the blazers play them. Cause you know, like, like, after the coach is fired or after, you know, they always have a, a really good game. And so that's the game before the trailblazers play them. So hopefully, um, you know, they'll get all, they'll get the adrenaline win before, and then they'll, uh, the blazers will be able to come in and take care of business without having to worry about the adrenaline game. Yeah. I think it's going to carry on a little bit longer than that though, because I think for, for cat and, and Wiggins, they, they want to show, at least I would think that they mm-hmm. show that, that they can do it without Jimmy. But then again, I saw an article where a quote from Cat basically saying he doesn't want to be the leader. <laughs> like, oh, things are going well in Minnesota. Uh, like it, <laughs> it's it's kind of like the anti-Lamarcus Aldridge, where Lamarcus always wanted more. Mm-hmm. Cat doesn't want more. Like he doesn't want more shots. He does. He, he's he's this whole idea of like strength and numbers leadership, and it's just. It's really weird. Like, mm-hmm. he's probably one of the 10 most talented guys in the league, and with his size, especially. Mm-hmm. And for him to not want that is just, I, I don't I don't know how, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Like, it's just weird. Well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited that the Blazers are getting to play them so soon after having just played them. And then also after this change, cause I think it'll be a good measure of, yeah. you know, just like where the blazers are in terms of being able to focus and, you know, keep the, the current game in front of them and, you know, play what they do, what they need to do. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'll tell you, you mentioned- happy about it though. Happy about Jimmy being gone from Minnesota. CJ McCollum. That dude has had a rough start to the season as far as like matchup wise goes. Oh right. Like night in and night out. Like he has had to play like his worst matchups to start the season. Like he's getting them all out of the way early in the right. season. Right. You're yeah. talking about him on offense and then somebody really good on defense guarding him. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like he's had to work I think that was part of the part of the reason. Again, CJ McCollum just one player of the week, so like yeah. kudos to him. But I mean, he had to work stupid hard in the first two weeks of the season. <laughs> Um, to get anything and, and not having Jimmy in division and having to see him or, you know, like when Jimmy's not on him, it's Wiggins. Like it's another bigger, longer, more physical defender. They're the kind of guys that have given CJ McCollum pause in the past. So mm-hmm. if you're looking for the immediate impact. That's, that's the thing I look at. Right. Well, you mentioned CJ getting the, the player of the week. <laughs> it reminds me of the, uh, was it 
last week that we talked about him where we were asking that you you made the headline you made it a, a question which you said was a legitimate question is should we be worried about CJ and everybody uh, a lot of people took that to think that what we talked about was how we were worried about CJ when in fact we both said that we yeah, were not worried about CJ because he was finding his way. So it, it does look like that he um, has somewhat found his way. What are some specific examples of that you can say that you saw from this past week? First of all, quit reading just the headline. <laughs> well, you're the one who wrote it. <laughs> it, 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 it. People like it was clickbaity. And I'm like, it wasn't clickbaity. It was a question that we asked. That was the most poignant question of the podcast. It can still be the clickbait. It can still be the question that we asked and be quick clickbait. That's what good <laughs> clickbait is. Killing me. <laughs> hey, it got people to. I hope people listened. I don't know. There was some good stuff in there. Anyway, yeah. So some concrete examples this week from of how CJ is uh, filling the the role. Uh, it hasn't been. And this, I, I wrote about it on Saturday. It hasn't been about CJ like like discovering like this new role it's been about the blazers getting cj more involved in his optimum setting it's the same thing they did with evan turner let evan turner have the ball at the second unit well mm -hmm. when cj's got a mismatch or cj's in his bag let him go mm -hmm. like against milwaukee when he's dropping a 40 piece dame's like no nah, i'm good I'll, I'll go back seat cj's in his bag Just let it let him cook and he did mm -hmm. and and divincenzo got cooked oh gosh <laughs> It hasn't been about CJ like optimizing his ability to work off a dribble handoff or or more back cuts. Although that has gotten better over the last couple of games, like we've well, he's dunking. Yeah. CJ's dunking now and alley ooping. Yeah, yeah off back, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> but those are like the filler plays. Like those that those are like when he starts incorporating that stuff regularly in, on top of his already great in between game. That's when it's like okay, this is this is the, the quote unquote new CJ. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he's got everything from from his bag, but he's also adding those new things. Like if you look at the Milwaukee game, it wasn't like he had, was doing anything different. He took 12 mid range shots, Tara. Mm -hmm. He just hit 11 of them. Yeah. He was just cooking dudes. That, that's all it comes down to is that he was getting to his spots and he wasn't. Listen, I want CJ to go to the rim. I want him to generate free throws. I want him to, to get to the line. But if that's just not something he's going to do with any like real capability or efficiency, then it's like, well, maybe it is better if he just he takes those mid-rangers because he's yeah. money for mid-range. And you know what? I like that about watching this team right now is that they take the, the, the guys take the shots that are best for them, unless you're Aminu and then you step out five feet and take an incredibly long three. So everybody but, in the room, when Aminu took that three, Stood up and went surrender cobra. Hands behind the head. Oh! And that ball was up in the air for what felt like forever. And then it just splashed down and everybody just went nuts. It was just glorious. So Yes, well, well welcome to my world. Shout out to Aminu banging threes from stupid deep. Well, but one thing to to circle back around to CJ, you know, one of the things about at least the Milwaukee and the Clippers game, and one of the reasons that I will, you know, just go down fighting uh, to get uh, Minu recognition is that in those games in Milwaukee and the Clippers games, he took quite a few fewer shots than he's been taking most of the year. And in those games, those happened to be games that CJ was able to take more shots. And 
why I think this is something that Aminu deserves recognition for is that he's a guy who doesn't need to take all the shots. He'll take whatever they give him. And that's fine. He, you know, when CJ's cooking, he also is fine to give up shots. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. He'll he'll take it if it's there, but he doesn't need it. And then you so those that Milwaukee game, he was uh three or five, three of five, including two of four from three, and then against the Clippers, he was three of four and two of two from three. I mean, Giannis still had what, eleven dunks in that Milwaukee game, but so gauche. It's it's one of those things where yeah he's gonna do that like he's mm-hmm. he's averaging eleven made field goals in the paint a game mm-hmm. so there they are <laughs> there you go like they limited his effectiveness everywhere else yeah it was just I mean he having to work that hard defensively and again we talked about CJ's matchups Aminu's matchups have been just nightmare fuel right well yeah so I mean he's been efficient on offense while guarding the best player since day one. I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say efficient on offense for the season. No, I mean, no, but recently. Yeah, absolutely. His efficiency has been recent. His guarding the best player has been since day one. Yes, very much so. But I think it's especially noteworthy that he's being so efficient when he's, you know, guarding somebody like, Giannis like Giannis like like, like he's I, tired I, from defense yeah. and he's able to still produce offensively yeah like guarding a guy like Giannis in today's NBA where you can't touch the dude that's that's brutal like mm-hmm. I, I don't even want to try to imagine what that's like like it's just so I mean again that, that everything's going to kind of come back to this at least for me right now is that for the Blazers they're in this weird position where Everything they do is more about the sum of the parts, like the collective, than it is about the individual. And it's because everybody's doing what they need to do. And it, we've gone this far without, and I haven't even said, said his name once. Jake Lehman, like, like Lehman has had some really good games. He was fired up the last game against Boston. Something got him fired up, and it was fun. I mean, he—you're right. He's been stout defensively, much more so than we expected. He hits the threes when he's expected to do it, especially when he's got like plenty of room to do it. But something made him mad in that Boston game, and he was playing with some fire. Yeah, the only downside I think from Lane against Boston was he's a little, he's a little sloppy with the ball. He had that one turnover Ooh, yeah. where he just dripped. I don't know, hit it off the back of his palm or something. I. Yeah, they had a that third quarter was kind of a disaster. <laughs> they were doing so many strange, like just throwaway passes. Yeah, the, I think the the leveling of the of the hoop of the rim. They were iced. They got iced. Yeah, because they came out and that. We said it on the post game show, and that like I think the, there have been three quarters of basketball the Blazers have played this year that have just been train wrecks, <laughs> and they've all been third quarters. Yeah. Lakers, Wizards, and then Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if I have something that I worry about with this team right now, it is their ability coming out of the half. Because I think that's been their worst period. It's so strange that they're not focused, though. Like, why? I mean... It's been starts in the past. Like, now they come out... Like, even if they aren't playing well, like, as a unit offensively, they're playing well enough defensively that they make up for it. Like, the starters have had some bad stints uh, to start off games. But at least on the offensive side of the ball, but they found a way to just stay in games because they're playing sound defensively and not letting teams, you know, kind of get into them. Uh, but these third quarters are just 
like weird. Maybe part of it is because they have been playing so well to close out first halves. They get a little lackadaisical. Because, I mean, uh, going into the Boston game, they were, they were one and three in games decided by 10 or less. But they were eight and oh um, on games decided by 10 or more, which means, yeah, they've been blowing teams out, which mm-hmm. don't be wrong. I, I'd rather them just handle business. <laughs> but the, the, the ability to kind of take care of business in some of these close games is I'm not worried per se, but like if, if you want me to nitpick, which I, I'm going to do, um, that's, that's kind of where I think I'm going to, I'm going to look. Well, I have, I have one more question about things that are going on. And then I want to go to, to the Twitter questions because we got some good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's something that uh, has happened recently up until the, I think, Milwaukee game. All the games prior to the Milwaukee game, Dame was averaging about eight and a half trips to the free throw line. And then suddenly two games in a row, nothing. Zip. Yeah. No free throw lines. And then last night he had a technical and then maybe one or two more trips to the free throw line, but barely. So what's going on? Um, I, I honestly what do you think? wish I knew exactly what was going on because then I can be like, oh, I can, we can, you know, pinpoint this. And no, I actually, I thought I had this one keyed up for me. Let me pull it back up. But uh, his, his drive data is actually, has been good. Like, yeah, there's there's no reason for him to not be getting calls. Uh, that's probably what I end up writing about this weekend if things don't change, um, because Dame's driving thirteen times a game. Yeah, and he's, the- he's generating one free throw attempt right now off his drives. Well, and prior to last week, he was getting eight and a half a game. <laughs> yeah, like it, it it's. It's really, really weird, and I'm I, I'm watching back the Boston game for the third time right now as we're as we're doing this. Just kind of have it in the background, just kind of taking some mental notes. But I've I've gone back and I've watched the last couple games, and he it, he's getting hit. Mm-hmm. There, there was three times in the Boston game. There was one where he split the defense and hit that ridiculous shot in traffic. Oh, the one where he was like uh, basically sitting in a fan's lap. He was so far away from the actual. <laughs> I mean, he was underneath it on the other side of the like so far it was, uh, it was one of the, his most absurd finishes that i've ever seen like it, it's, yeah. it's around oh, through three people and they're like even you look at the gravity of the ball and you go how did the ball even bounce that way yeah it was it was absolutely insane he got bumped on that one there was one i can't remember if it was i think it was baines one of one of the bigs just shoved him in the middle of the back on a drive and a little floater that he hit and it was like it wasn't even close either. It was just like, how how does he not get that call? And I mean, Dave, I mean, do you think that, that other teams are game planning and they're like, you know, they're they're shoving him when they know the refs aren't looking? And oh, because, because the, way the, the way the league's calling things right now is they're calling everything, unless all of a sudden yeah. there's been a mandate like, hey, this is getting a little crazy. We can dial back some of the the foul calls, which I I don't think the league would do. Yeah, I wanted to look and see if there's anybody else, but I couldn't figure out where to find the data. But I wanted to find if there are any other players who like have had a significant change. Because in that Milwaukee game, I think both teams, each each one only shot like eight free throws. I mean, there were very few trips to the line in that um, in that team or in that game at all. Um, but I'm wondering if there are other 
stars or other players in the league who are not getting any calls. But the other thing I think is weird is that it's not even like Dame is taking those, you know, Harden-esque ones. Like, I haven't even seen him take many of those at all. And I don't know if, like, players aren't getting close enough to him anymore for him to for that to make it worth his while to try those. But he hasn't even been trying those. No, he he's getting hit. He's just not getting the calls. I just don't know why. And like league wide, like Embiid leads the league by two free throw attempts a game right now. He's averaging eleven free throws a game. Like Embiid is generating like crazy. Zach Levine, Kevin Love, the John Wall. Those are all guys right now who are averaging more free throw attempts than Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. What? What about Harden? Oh yeah, Harden's number two in the league. Okay, he, he's at nine point one. Um, but yeah, it's like. I, especially to go two games without getting a free throw attempt. It's well, not Damian almost Lillard. went three. Yeah. It's not like he's not attacking the rim. So I, yeah, I need to go through and literally watch every single one of, of Damian Lillard's shot attempts again, mm-hmm. just to be like, okay, what, what happened here? Like where are the rest standing that they're not yeah. seeing this? It, did, did Dame do something? Like, I mean, he got teed up the other night because he was like, that's a foul. Yeah. And then yeah. it was kind of funny because it was Sean Wright was officiating that game. And then Myers, about two minutes late, two minutes later, comes down and got two hands put in the middle of his back. I mean, not even close, just a regular loose ball foul. And he also had the one where he had the uh, the Timberwolves game, where he got hit on the wrist um, for what would have been the most absurd dunk of of Myers' career. But at both times, you, the mic picked up uh, Myers' courtside, yelling at the ref, saying, "That's a foul." Yeah, I, I don't know if like. If there's something the Blazers did to irritate the refs or what, like I, I just I don't. They I, need to call that consultant back in, I guess. Yeah, Don. Talk, yeah, talk I, to him and find out. I can't think of anything like realistically that makes sense because the Blazers are a team right now. Like, yeah, they're shooting more threes, so you expect to see a little bit, but a lot of their shot attempts are still coming at you know getting downhill. So especially for Damian Lillard. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just so weird because he's been so proven in his ability to do that over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took a while to build it up. I mean, it makes a little more sense with CJ because we yeah. know that he's still trying to build up the re- reputation. But for it to so suddenly drop off uh, of Damien, I just don't know what's going on. And I was hoping that you would know, but it sounds like you're going to go study it and you will get back to us and let us know what you discover. Yeah, Hopefully you'll discover something that can I, be fixed. I find anything that like makes realistic sense like Mm -hmm. right now it's still one of those things it's just like uh i don't know (laughs) (laughs) well you ready to move on and uh answer some twitter questions that we got always okay cool so we'll we'll warm up with and uh uh with one from rose harding okay this is a, a funny little side story about rose harding Rose actually is uh, comes to the Women's Hoops and Talks meetup. We actually have one coming up on Sunday. But Rose Harding, there's two Rose Hardings in the Women's Hoops and Talks group. And they actually uh, know each other from Twitter because people accidentally tag them in each other's things. So there's two Rose Hardings. And they met for the very first time face-to-face at a what meetup. And it was very exciting to get the two Rose Hardings together. I thought, how odd is it that there's two Rose Hardings who are huge Trailblazer fans? I, just, I was just thinking that, God, how terrible would it be if there was two Dan Morangs that were giant Trailblazer fans? Ooh. Yes, that would be that would be something. So anyway, Rose L. Harding uh, wrote in and she's uh, asked a question close to my heart. 
I know she says, I want to know what we're going to call Seth. He needs a nickname here, Stat. Have you heard any decent nicknames for Stats, Dan? Um, or for <laughs> for Seth? See, I can't even. I don't even know what his name is. Yeah, no, I don't. None that I can say on air. <laughs> so I act. That's very strange. I don't know what would be ones that you couldn't say on air. But anyway, I actually have adapted really quickly to calling him Seth. And I thought it was going to be super, super hard. But I find that when I'm focused on him because he's on the Trailblazers, I don't have a problem. I have a harder time coming up with his brother's name and I get his name twisted around now. But okay, that's a little weird. Well, I mean, just because like we're talking about Seth all the time, we're not talking about the other one. Like we don't like, you know, so everyone when I come try to come up with his brother's name, I'm like, Seth, wait, Steph, Seth, Seth, Seth. Okay. Seth's brother is Steph. I just it call ta- him Stephen. <laughs> yeah, somebody uh, suggested that uh, since uh, sauce was taken, we could call him Spicy Curry. But I just uh, I feel like the the Curry nicknames are just they're just too easy. Yeah, like I mean they're they're not bad. Don't get me wrong, but as somebody else who has a last name that's a food. <laughs> I just, I was like, come on, man. Like anytime anybody hears my name, they're like, is it, is it, is it meringue? Meringue with the pie. And I'm like, you know, I've never heard that in my life. Not once. (laughs) So you and Seth can bond over that when you meet him. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. Like you can't go with like baby faced assassin or anything like that. I I think he's got to do something in Portland to to earn a nickname. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's that's what really what we're we're waiting for more than anything else. I just thought it was going to be harder to remember his name, but like what, I find that when I'm watching the game, I know I'm watching Seth, and you know it's easy to say Curry, it's easy to say Seth, and I was worried that that was going to be harder. Um, okay, next question. This is from Rip City Brazil, and I had asked what's on your mind and what questions do you have? And so they responded that on their mind is bench production and the role of Zach Collins with the team. I'm curious to see how he will respond in the next road trip, tough games ahead. So I guess that's a kind of a two part thing. Um, Thoughts about uh, bench production on the road, how Zach Collins might do on the road because they haven't really seen much road time. And this is this upcoming trip is going to be an extended period. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I have to throw this one out there because this is trash. Um, I just feel like I wonder what what Google has for Seth Curry's nickname, and it's Swaggy Swag. Oh God! <laughs> so, Portland, let's let's do better than that. Let's let's, let's do like a call to action. Let's come up with something that's that's like somebody's like um, chat room name that they came up with when they were eleven. Yeah, like nineteen ninety seven. Swaggy swag. It's like Kevin Durant, Easy Money Sniper. It's like, uh, come, dude, did you like? Was that your nickname that you like? You entered when you went and played laser tag. Swaggy swag. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like it. It's already growing on me. Jesus, please no. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about bench production. How Swaggy Swag's going to do on the road, uh, and the role of Zach Collins with the team. Okay, so first of all, Zach's been really, really good over the last two weeks, um, impacting the box score. Um, I said the one thing I think I've had reservations on about Zach is his his ability to be physical and kind of like have it be a commanding presence uh, on the backboards. And against Boston, that was the first time I've really seen him like get in there and take rebounds away. I think he had five 
offensive rebounds in that game. I'm double checking now. Yeah, he had five offensive rebounds, which was phenomenal. And every one of those wasn't like it wasn't the the, the Marcus Canby tip outs. They were like well timed, mm-hmm. coming in, sneaking in, and then getting big. Like yeah. Al Horford's a good rebounder. He's not a great rebounder, but he's he knows how to box people out. Um, he knows how to get big um, and seal people out. Same with Aaron Baines, Morris. Eh, hit or miss, but still, Zach took his his opportunities there and, and kind of imposed his will physically a couple times. And I think that was the most promising thing that I've seen from Zach in, on, in that respect um, all season. I, his box score last night wasn't like anything that's going to like blow your socks off six and eight, but I thought it was there were some of his more physically impactful minutes that I've seen from him in his career so far. So I, I'd like to see that continue out on the road, and he, there's not going to be a shortage of, of of guys to go against. That's for sure. Um, on this road trip, Javale McGee has been a nightmare for Portland, um, and they're going to have now McGee and Tyson Chandler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tyson Chandler's really giving people fits. That's too. That's just two stupidly long, real life embodiments of Gumby, who are also both grown ass men. Like those, like if you're looking for the worst like box type matchup that I can imagine for Zach, it's th- those kind of guys who they're longer than Zach, but they're even though they're they're quote unquote skinny, they're very athletic and they're very they're, they're wiry strong, right? Like so that's gonna be like a, a a big opportunity for him, I think, right out of the gate on the road. So that that's kind of what I'm looking forward to is how does he. Does he continue to kind of evolve along that line? Um, a couple of thoughts on Zach. One of the things that I really like about him is you're right. Those those matchups against the older, experienced um, veterans are are tough for him, but he doesn't back down. Like he is not scared of anybody. Um, uh, you know. As he gains confidence and every time he is able to move somebody, is able to get the rebound, is able to snake up in there and, you know, steal something from somebody, like every time he does that, he gets more confident. And who was it who was who tried to stand over him the other night? It was just like, yeah, no, that's didn't bother him at all. So that's one thing I like about him because was he turning 21 this week? It's really it's right yeah. around the corner. Yes, he has the same uh, birthday as Mr. Team Mom, so he's uh, uh, turning twenty one, I think, next week. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed about the Blazers and the rebounding this year is they they're actually getting better results from their rebounding because, like, one of the things I've yelled for the last three years is like two hands because they would always go up with one hand and kind of kind of try to grab it, and then if they couldn't grab it, then they kind of like you know just tipped it out or whatever. But I see so much more like going up there and absolutely getting the ball like with two hands. You know who's <laughs> the king of that right now for them, right? Do I? I know who's king of that for them right now. Who 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 is the guy that is grabbing the ball with two hands and smacking it together every single time? Myers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if he doesn't, and him and other players as well, if they don't go up with two hands, they already know where they're going to tip it to. And I don't feel like in years past they were as coordinated in that aspect of it. I felt like they were just like, whoa, okay, I'll get my hand on it. But I feel like this year, from what I've observed, when they know that they're not going to get it, they know exactly where they want to tip it to. 
Yeah, no, it, coming into the season, I think that was one of our biggest questions was whether or not this team was going to rebound outside of Yusuf Nurkic and then somebody like Evan Turner, who's a good rebounder for his position. Same with, same with Aminu. Uh, You're talking because they lost Ed Davis and he was so critical in the rebounding last year. He's a hungry, hungry hippo. Uh-huh, right. Ed Davis just gobbles rebounds up. Like His rebound rate last year is one of the highest in the league. Mm-hmm. So like replacing that is not easy, but they found a way to do it by committee. Mm-hmm. I think has been really impressive. Uh, I mean, they, they lead the league in rebounding right now, and they're right. one of the tops in the league. And it's not—it's not just raw numbers; it's also his rebound percentage. Mm-hmm. Like they rebound the living hell out of the ball, and it's a big part of that. It goes to Nurkic. Nurkic has turned into one of the best rebounders in the league. Like he's—he's he's been phenomenal on the glass, particularly on the offensive glass. I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Nurkic leads the league in offensive rebounding right now. It's fun to watch them go up and to know that they're going to battle for it every time rather than they're just like, you know, jumping and trying to do it. But one of the reasons I brought up Ed Davis is because, yeah, one of the things that we were concerned with was, you know, his uh, rebounding production, what what they were going to do. And they really kind of changed their whole style of how the bench plays and so their whole way of going after rebounds is you know is is not the same because they're playing a different style and one of the things that strikes me about Zach Collins right now I just kind of you probably have known this for months or years but um watching the amount of time that they play Zach Collins alongside Nurkic and alongside side Myers I feel like they're getting ready to um replace Zach Aminu with Zach yeah I feel like he's going to be playing more power forward stretch five kind of thing rather than just pure center because towards the end of the last last season I thought okay well if Ed Davis is gone then Zach Collins is going to come off the bench and play center and it appears to me that they are grooming him more to play alongside both alongside Nurk, really. Yeah, and, and this is the thing. This is why I, I kept kind of like poo-pooing the whole Zach's a five, Zach's a five, Zach's a five because he's. I think he, he can play a five. He can. He can do. But I think the need that they have right now is not for him there. And, and again, again, if we're talking about Zach playing the five, I think that's still a couple years away. Like he's going to be a consistent five. I, I think he has the ability to do it in, in spurts right now, but I think it's still better for him to be at the four. But as far as like replacing Aminu, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's no secret. I think Aminu's gone at the trade deadline. Like unless Portland is like a top three no nonsense team, uh, I think Aminu's gone at the deadline. And it's not just like basketball reasons, not just money reasons. It's a combination of a couple things. With his deal being the one, basically, unless they move Harkless, that that's kind of like the caveat to this. Um, with his deal being basically the easiest way that they can get under the cap, it makes sense because the team is going to be up for sale. And what owner wants to pay a couple million dollars more in luxury tax fees? Like unless, unless the, the, the current ownership is willing to just eat that before the sale. You, you want to be as much in the black as you can when you sell a team. You want to have as much liquidity and you want to have as much contracts – wishy washed stuff taken care of what if they're right on the path to being a 50 win team it's gonna be hard i know that last year um i gotta be careful what i say here 
Um, I, I know that they shopped guys. Um, I know that there were guys that were on this team last year that were going to be available at the trade deadline, but the Blazers. But the trade deadline, it still didn't. It didn't really feel like they were. I mean, that was like the very beginning of their. Um, even turned out to be their 13 game winning streak. Yeah, even then, and the, the Blazers wanted to have young guys basically to to bring in some of these young guys and then basically groom them and trade them. And, and mm-hmm. same, some of these like lower contract guys to get a little bit like you 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 turn like up, Noah Vonley. Yeah, exactly. It, like taking it's like going to the casino and taking a you know a dollar and turning it into five. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a huge thing, but if you do that enough times in a couple years, then it may pay off. Mm-hmm. And because they saw what happened with when you when you paid young guys like Crab and Harkless and Myers and overpaid for Evan and like the situation that put them in. Like if you're not going to be able to afford to keep these guys and so you don't get in that position again, you try to just kind of flip them. It's, I mean, it's like flipping yeah. houses. So, um, and I, I know that uh, over the last two years, the Blazers have looked to do that with a couple different guys and they were going to do it earlier in the season, but they were doing well enough that they couldn't do that because they were so valuable to the team's production mm-hmm. that they just couldn't do it. Like the, the plan. I mean, that's where I feel like they're going to, they're going to be with Aminu unless I guess Mo Harkless does re does get better and get worked back into the, to the rotation. I suppose that would be a way that they could maybe maintain, back and then you have- keep their head above water or, you know, maintain a higher, maintain a high level without Aminu. Here's, here's the caveat to that too, is that if you do move Aminu, uh, at before at the deadline, um, it depends on who you're getting in return, right? Like if you get another, well, you're getting somebody like a super young person on a rookie cheap, cheap contract because you exactly. still have to not, you know, you still you're trying to, you're doing it because you're trying to get under the cap. Yeah, so you're you're looking for that or the luxury tax. You're looking for that rookie deal, um, and that that body ends up being somebody that you know, can play the same position, but now you start Zach and you have mm-hmm. um, yeah. Mo coming off the bench and whoever that, that young player is in return kind of slots into the role that Zach was in, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. a, a year and a half ago. Yeah. That brings it around perfectly to what I, that's exactly what I noticed. I was like, they are, they want, they want Zach to play the five or four alongside Nurkic and Myers, I guess right now. Um, and so, Everybody who's worried about me, who knows how much I love Aminu, I do love Aminu, but I'm an under, I'm under no illusions that he's like, you know, that him leaving would, you know, make the team fall apart. Um, I just want to make sure that he gets the appreciation for what he does for the team. Cause I mean, I, I loved Ed Davis and I was shocked when Ed Davis left, but I can see I'm understanding now more the basketball reasons why it happened. It's because the, the team was going in a different direction. And I understand the logic, you know, that you laid out about, you know, Aminu not being on the team doesn't mean I would be like happy, but I would also, but I would be happy if he were to go somewhere where he could thrive. Cause I'm just so impressed at how he's just so quietly performed all these years and just done whatever has been asked of him kind of like ed davis did um 
just did everything that was asked of him and you know even with people making fun of his stroke and you know hating his high balls and just like you know he's taken a lot of ridicule uh but throughout throughout it all he's been an extremely valuable part of this team i just see that the blazers are looking that that they've got somebody in the wings that it needs to get developed yeah no i mean it's it's going to be interesting to see what does come out of this whole deal like that's I'm just really curious what the uh, what the bar is going to be for like they're doing because it seems to me like if they're fighting for a home you said like top three and I feel like if they have a good chance of having home court advantage they're not going to want to mess up the chemistry. You're you're probably right, but if if it's not Aminu, it's going to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that's that's mm-hmm. that's the thing here is that yeah, it's. Yeah, it's just not. Oh God, the third quarter just started in this Boston. Okay, game. then focus <laughs> on me, Dan. Focus on me. Look at me. Don't look. Don't look at that screen. Oh, no. Focus. Oh, focus no. on the sound of my voice. No. No. <laughs> okay. Maybe. So uh, bench production on. Uh, you know how the bench and the Zach Collins are going to fare on the road. Do you have any idea? Were you able to find the splits for how the bench is doing on the road? Yeah. No, I do have that one. Let me. Let me click. Click it in here. Uh, bench. All teams, Portland, there we go. All locations on the road. Hey, there it is. All right. So the it's a road. It's small sample size, but. Yeah, it's not, not huge. They have, what, five games, four games on the road? They are a middle of the pack bench. Um, their scoring is down a little bit. They're down a full, well, not really down so much. It's just that some of the smaller, other smaller sample sizes are dumb. Like yeah. the Clippers bench, the Clippers have played six games, right? But their their bench has been one of the more productive benches in the league. They get a ton of points from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the Clippers bench is averaging fifty seven a game. Yeah, that's that's a, that's an absurd number. Like thirty of those are Lou Williams. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it, it skewed a little yeah. bit. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I will just say that the Clippers look pretty fun. They are a good team. Like I think that was a really good win for Portland. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it, that 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 team is is fun. Uh, and again, could kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, Aminu did a great job with Tobias Harris. So, but back to the bench, uh, the bench of the road is probably one of the best shooting benches in the league right now. They're shooting 48% from the field, 40% three. And was, I want to say 90 something percent, 93% from the free throw line. <laughs> so the, the, the bench unit on the road right now is almost 50, 40, 90. Um, they're the number one, uh, uh, defensive rebounding team, uh, and I think number three overall rebounding. I think they're second or third. Uh, they fell down a little bit. I think that's more again the other benches. They're they're fifth overall in assists. Um, they're I think they're they're plus minus is one of the better plus minuses. Yeah, they're seventh in plus minus. So. So yeah. I think it sounds like if they're able to keep it up on this road trip. Um, you know, they might slip out back naturally because everything tends to slip back on your on the road. But if they can generally uh, keep it up throughout this six game trip, that's going to be a really good sign that they are legit. Yeah, I'm I'm almost moved to the point where I think the bench is legit. Like mm-hmm. they're they're consistently dropping 40 a night. Yeah, like it's it's weird, but. They're they're finding ways to get it done, and they're doing it in different ways. And like they're they're not reliant on one guy just cooking. Like mm-hmm. it's Evan one night, it's Seth it's in a little spurt here, it's Styles gets there, it's Collins here, it's Myers there. Like it's their guys are contributing across the board. 
Um, over the last couple of games, Myers is averaging, I think, nine and seven. Like that's who. That's a nice production out of Myers, <laughs> right? Like if you would have given me that coming into the season, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sign me up for that. Also, not a ridiculous amount of fouls. I mean, Nurk fouled out one time, but generally for everybody, they, I mean, again, you know, two years ago, three years ago, there was, I was wringing my hands a lot worried about fouls. And that's just not something that I really worry about. I might look up and go, oh, someone's got three fouls in the first half. Hmm, better sit down. But it's not like, oh, why are they always getting called? You know, it's just kind of like a thing that happens and then they kind of get it together and, and move on. Speaking of getting it together and moving on, we got a few more questions to get through. Let's go. Um, Belgian Blazer wanted to know if I would mention Marcus Aurelius again. Did I already do that? I haven't done that yet. Um, that's because I think last season I, I have two Marcus Aurelius quotes that I call on every time I'm feeling uh, down and, dis- and in despair. <laughs> and those are... Uh, things can change in a moment and never let them touch your soul. And I tend to draw on those when things are a little bit darker, but honestly, things are pretty cheery and sunny for the trailblazers right now. So I'm going to pull out my very, my third favorite quote, which is not from Marcus Aurelius, but it is from another uh, warrior, uh, the shoveler from uh, mystery men. Have you seen that movie? Um. I have, but I am not, it's not, that's not clicking for me. It's an amazing movie. The Shoveler is uh, one of the the lead superheroes in that movie. And he said, we cut down evil with the mighty sword of friendship and the hammer of not bickering. And right now, that is how the Blazers are playing. (laughs) They cut down evil with the mighty sword of friendship and the hammer of not bickering. That's what the Blazers are doing. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I I remember him now. Okay. I <laughs> okay. haven't seen that in a very long time. That, that's William H. Macy, right? Yes. Brilliant movie. Got but it. speaking of uh, superheroes, a real superhero passed today. And this question uh-huh. comes from uh, Hecubus, BlazerFan72, um, who says, with the real Stan Lee passing, which Marvel superhero is your favorite? And team-wise, with Mello most likely leaving the Rockets, would you want him on the team for a minimum? Why or why not? Okay, so I'm I'm a huge comic book nerd, and Stan- shocking. Yeah, I know, right? Stan Lee, like I remember as a kid, like thinking how cool it would be if they ever made those comic books into movies. <sighs> like the closest I got when growing up was like the X Men cartoons. Yeah, like that. That was that was it. That and really really bad comic book movies that. At least, yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> but like that, that one sucks. I mean, I, I get it. He made it to 95. That's a hell of a life. But man, that one's, that one's rough. But see, favorite, favorite Stan Lee character. Ah, man, like I, I love the, the current Avengers a ton. Um, but I've always been a, a Wolverine fan. Mm. So it's it, it, like in, in my pantheon, it's probably like, Wolverine, Captain America. Uh, and then I'm gonna go like a little outside the box and go Gambit. Like those were those were always my three favorite comic book characters growing up. So, but yeah, I guess the the cool note on this is that uh, the word is, is that Stan Lee recorded a couple of his cameos already, or filmed a couple of his cameos that he does in all these Marvel movies. So those are already done for like the upcoming, um, like Marvel universe. So. It's not the last we'll see of him. 
Yeah, and there's probably so much film of him over all of the years that they can just keep splicing him in for a really long time. I would like that very much. You know, it uh, when he when I found out that he died, it was I rem I was reminded of you know of Paul Allen who recently passed, and between those those two, I mean, the impact that they have had on culture and society is just Huge. tremendous, and like you know from very different points but you know again like stan lee somebody who like there probably are very few people at least in this country if not the world uh, who have not been um affected by his work so yeah i mean this is a guy who has created uh, literally hundreds of iconic characters around the world mm-hmm. like culturally impactful in in the sense of like race color creed religion like like what his impact has been has just been absurd. So, uh, yeah. and that- it meant a lot to him, um, you know, representation and it meant a lot to him to, um, you know, to bring down the bad guys. I mean, it, it was, you know, the whole foundation, you know, that, that, uh, the people who weren't traditionally thought of as the heroes could be heroes, um, you know, kind of took that, you know, turned it, turned it on its head and, you know, inspired people who, you know, might not have thought that they were heroic material to, you know, to make themselves into hero. So my favorite Marvel superhero is not super creative, but it's Spider-Man. And part of the reason that Spider-Man is I used to, you know, I read that comic every morning, you know, back when we used to actually read comics in the morning, I was like completely dialed in and tuned into that. But I also, I like it because it popularized the phrase, you know, with great power comes great responsibility mm-hmm. like, that was popularized, you know, in Spider-Man. And I think it's something that, you know, we can all uh, learn a lot from and uh, take that to heart. Okay. So that's the enough- second part of the question was about Mello leaving the rockets. You want him for a veteran minimum? No, burn it with fire. Yeah. No, no, thank you. Listen, I, I've seen a few, couple of even the Blazers players come out, like put some respect on Mello's name. I saw CJ retweet it and Dame retweet it, And I'm just like, no, I, I refuse to. Like, you want to talk about Mello when he was prime Mello? Sure, great. But he's, it, it, this is, this is on Mello. I, I saw Al Harrington on, um, uh, Stephen Jackson's Instagram's call, um, uh, what do you, what do you call him? Um, Dan Tony, uh, fake Tony or something like that. Uh, he's a bozo and this is all about, um, the coach's agent is putting this out, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's run down the tape here. Goes to New York, circus show. Can't get along with D'Antoni. D'Antoni basically is like, I'm I'm gonna go get paid and not to not coach you. Like you're a you're a nightmare. Can't defer, get along with Christoph Porzingis. Goes to Oklahoma City. Um is co- a complete dumpster fire there. Goes to Houston. The Houston defensive coach just happens to leave. The Houston defensive coach all of a sudden is coming back and now Mello's on the way out. Like, it's not hard to draw these lines, folk. Like, it's it's really not. Like, if he was willing to accept, like, Vince Carter, like Dirk Nowitzki, like Tim Duncan, like Zach Randolph, like, the, the list of guys who have gone on to play a really, really long time, but have, like, evolved their careers as their athleticism waned, as their skills waned a little bit then I probably would be more sympathetic. And listen, like I don't, 
I think the whole like mortality of his game and him his refusal to accept it is it sucks for him. But like this is this is a him thing. This is not some greater conspiracy to target Carmelo Anthony. He's been bad for three years. Not like uh, he's he's a passable player. He's been bad. So you know, I, I like I, I don't want that. I don't want the moping. I don't want all that stuff. Like you you can talk about him in the sense that like he he's this this player who's a probable hall of, you know, not a problem. He is a hall of famer. But that doesn't mean that's what he is right now. And like you, you don't have to look at him like that right now as he's active. Like if you want to have that revisionist history after he hangs it up, cool, fine, great, whatever. But as, as far as like him being active right now, no, screw that. Yeah. Well, and the the Blazers don't don't need what don't need him right now. <laughs> what do the Bla- What does Carmelo do? That the Blazers need. He there is nothing. I mean, his yeah. we already we have his role. They have his role filled. They have Evan Turner. They don't. They don't need him. Yeah. yeah. They don't. They don't need him. We have a couple more questions. I want to get through Look, this bro. one. You're, this one you're going to be uh, tempted to go on for a while. So try to hold yourself back. This is from Dan Prince from Australia, I believe. He says, uh, if the Wizards blow it up, should the Blazers target someone from their squad? And if so, would Kelly Oubre start for the Blazers? In all seriousness, what would the Blazers have to give up to get Oubre or Porter, understanding that they have very different price tags and salaries? Uh, first of all, try not to get too sucked no, into talking about the Washington dysfunction because it's I'm super not, tempting. No, I'm not going to because I, I've wanted Kelly Oubre in Portland for a while, so... Um, first of all, if he was on Portland when he start, yes, unequivocally, he would be the most talented wing player they have on the roster. Just hands down. That's mm-hmm. same true of Otto Porter Jr. How uh, do they get him? Um, it depends on what the Wizards are going to do here. Like, do they want to move on from Otto Porter Jr.'s contract? If so, it's gonna it, it the money it's going to take is Turner and Harkless. Um, if that's the case, then. I think it has to be probably a sweeter deal, and I think it costs them probably Otto Porter Jr. and Kelly Oubre. Um, and just so happens that a trade of Evan Turner, Morris Harkless for Otto Porter Jr. and Kelly Oubre actually works. Now, I don't think that's enough. Portland either has to give up a first, uh, or Simons, or Collins. And if you're talking Collins, then the package has to be sweeter from Washington's side. So I think the more likely scenario is Simons or a first. But it would have to be like full on blow it up style. Like Ernie Grunfeld's got to get fired. A new GM's got to come in. They have to start from scratch. Um, I think if if Washington wants to go one way or the other, I think they'd rather move on from Otto. Uh, I like Otto as a player. I like Otto as a person. I've I've got people who are very very close to him. Love to see him in Portland. Um, salary wise, I think he's the least likely because he's going to make twenty seven million a year. That's a lot of that's a lot of that's a lot of cheese. Uh, yeah. is due up for his contract. So you could pay him basically like you pay Evan Turner, but what that does to the second unit is different because Ubre is not that same kind of creative playmaker. Um, so that would definitely change the things. But I mean, if you're talking about like like changing timelines and getting more athletic, uh, Ubre is definitely that guy. Same with Otto Porter Jr. So how old are those two? Uh, Ubre, I think, is like 20, 23. Okay. And Otto, I think, is 24? A little older. Okay, so they're like Nurkic's age. Yeah, they're, they're young, like, mm-hmm. not in their prime players yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, Well, I can't 
wait to see what happens. And I'm so glad the Blazers are going to be seeing Washington soon so that they can exact their revenge for that last game against them. Yeah, I, th- let's just say uh, uh, th- this road trip coming up, if they don't beat the brakes off the Wizards, I'm going to be very frustrated. Yeah. This is this is a lo- it's a long time I don't know I'm probably just going to like ruin it now but it's a long time since I felt confident about a win and I feel really confident about that win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, last question. This is from Mrs. Bro. She says, "Has the energy in the arena improved with the team's overall improvement this year? The Rose Garden seemed so quiet last season." Shout out Larissa for the intentional Rose Garden shade. Uh, also i'm gonna let you take this one tara because i have not been in the arena for a home game this year so i am happy to take this one and uh in for the most part the answer is definitely there have been some really great rockin' nights for the blazers but there's some weird like more fans from other teams that that usual so like the celtics game the other night a go celtics chant broke out and i was like what is going on here there were so many celtics fans at the celtics game i could not figure out what was going on and then of course the lakers games are all just lakers and you know i think i talked about this before for the most part i don't mind it when there's two fan bases in there but you don't break out into a go celtics chant that is not okay but the Portland crowd for sure has been into it, has been uh, much more active than they were. But, I mean, the, the team is really fun. I mean, you should, you think you guys were excited in your room the other day when Alpha Rucamino hit that shot. The arena went wild because remember, he had just hit one that was already like, oh my gosh, I mean, it was still hitting threes at the end of the game. What's going on? And then he hit that one and like, I nearly jumped three rows over my seat <laughs> just because I wanted to like rush the field. I was so excited about that. It's, it's kind of funny because my, my girlfriend went to the game, uh, the Boston game of the night, and she actually uh, said that there was an obscene amount of Boston fans in there. Ugh. So it, it must have been something that, you know, definitely stood out there. I, I'll say this just quickly in that I, through the, the truck feed that we get, it feels like the arena is a bit more like it was in years past. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, and I don't think it's just the team being better. I think the crowd is just a little bit better. Um, I think they can get behind this team a little bit more. I think there's a little bit more love in this team, and I think that's indicative of a feeling they're getting off the players. Well, and you can feel the crowd, you know, uh, when Myers comes in. That's always a really good test of how the crowd is feeling because you can tell when he steps on the floor everyone like takes a big breath and they just are like throwing all their (laughs) their positive vibes his way because they know that if he comes out and plays strong right away that he will have a good game and so that sort of unleashes something i think in the crowd it's like okay when myers hits a three it's kind of like okay everything's gonna Everything's going to be okay. We don't have to worry about like maybe you know, that's key. Maybe Good Myers is 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 is, is kind of pushing the, the the crowd on. Well, I think because of the way things you know kind of dissolved at the end of the year last year with you know fans not supporting Myers, I think people a lot of people came out and they're like, okay, we can't do that anymore. That that is not good. We have to, um, you know, we have to 
to show our support and that'll be contagious, you know, for everybody, for everybody on the team. And, you know, again, like we thought, you know, Pat Connaughton was the leader of the bench mob. What are we going to do without Pat Connaughton? Turns out, you know, the bench can be just as fun with a new crop of guys. And they seem to be having a good time both on court and off the court. And that kind of gets the whole fan group going as well. No, I, I don't disagree. I, I think it's a hundred percent. Like I would love to see Moda Rose Garden, whatever you want to call it, restored to its former glory. Like I, I remember the times against the Utah Jazz in the playoffs where you had to yell to the person next to you. The place was so loud. Like mm-hmm. I, I would, I would love to see this that place restored to that. Well, let's hope that the Blazers make the deep run in the playoffs and they bring all that back. But we have to get through the next seventy games first. <laughs> uh let's see anything else that uh you want to talk about before we sign off here no that's it go ahead and uh, let everybody know where they can find you tara okay i am on twitter at tcb bigs you can also find the hoops and talks podcast on twitter at hoops and talks and the next women's hoops and talks meetup is coming up this sunday november 18th at three o'clock we meet at the mcminimans on broadway so folks should come out and join us and watch the blazers beat the wizards this is the revenge game that they must get and if they don't get it i'm going to be very very sad that's it for me okay perfect makes it simple and remember, everybody, get out to the women's hoops and talks. Get out to the what meeting, ladies. Super fun. Significant others, whatever. Get out there, have fun, mingle. It's a good time, I promise. Uh, as always, folks, you can find me on Twitter, on social media, everywhere else, uh, at dmarang, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. You can also find me on Blazers Outsiders, NBC Sports Northwest, every pre- and post-game show, uh, every game night, uh, which – just so happens to be a road trip, which means we get started early with the exception of uh, the, these West Coast games with the Lakers and the Warriors bookending it. Uh, we should have some announcements here in the next like week or two because we're going to get kicked out of our studio really quick. Uh, the, the toys are already starting to pour in for the uh, Toys for Toss for KGW. So that's really, really cool. I, just, I saw the most badass like full-size like kid fire truck. Like, <laughs> Not for you, Dan. Oh, I wanted, I wanted to ride it so bad. Uh, <laughs> it was, I mean, it's awesome. Like it is, it is, like, it looks like it weighs like a thousand pounds. It is so, cool. um, but yeah, I should have some information here pretty soon on the on location shoots. So on location shows to say, other than that, um, things are going pretty good. So we'll get the six game roadie coming up and we'll be, uh, starting off against the Lakers at 7 PM, uh, in Los Angeles on Wednesday. So other than that, I think we're good here, Tara, right? I think so. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate, review, do all those things, undo it, redo it again, and we'll catch you guys next time. See you.